Hey everybody, uh, welcome to the What's the Point podcast where we talk about all things in the life and ministry of Waypoint Church. My name is Eric Weiner. I'm hosting our, our podcast episode today where we're talking about uh, just a recap, just just going over our, our sermon series through uh, through the books of Samuel and Kings. But who, who do I have joining with me today in the studio? So, I'm Pastor Lawrence Hugh. Uh, Pastor Danny Castleone, and we are back in uh, Lawrence's office. This was one of our early studio locations. Waypoint Studios, Danny. Waypoint, Waypoint Studios. Studios. Waypoint Studios. I feel like We're I feel like we here. we could have a song that like is to the same theme of that VBS song. I don't the I don't uh, I remember. Uh, it's Spark Studio. Yeah, but it's, it's Waypoint, Waypoint Studio. Studio. Anyway, uh, maybe that's bringing back too many uh, interesting memories for for some people. But um, so, like I said, guys, we we uh, as a church, we've been going through a, a twelve weeks series, which is pretty fast to, to cover. Uh, we actually initially, when we were starting this sermon series, so going through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, said, why don't, we were also planning to do Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, and then we said, you know, maybe maybe that's a little too ambitious. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So uh, let's, let's just stick with uh, 12 weeks in, in Samuel and Kings. Uh, but w- and, and crazy enough, after we finish this sermon series, which is, is happening in a couple weeks, we're, we're going to jump into Advent. Advent's right around the corner. Uh, Thanksgiving is this month. We're in November now at the time of recording this. Uh, crazy stuff. Um, for sure, and, and, and we're going to be jumping into a new series in, in Advent into the new year, uh, looking at the Gospel of Luke. But before we do that, I uh, wanted to do this recap video or episode talking just about Samuel and Kings. But before we – I thought we could get our, our feet wet with a little icebreaker question. Um, so since we're talking about historical narrative, if you could share a meal with any one figure from history, who would it be and why? So – I would go way back because I always wonder what happened like at the time of Noah. So I would do Methuselah because I could ask him a lot of questions like, did he really live that long? Is the Bible or the numbers like, like what, you know, how, how did people live then? What was life on earth like then? Were they more civilized? Were they less civilized? Was it like the Russell Crowe Noah movie or nothing uh-huh, like uh-huh. that? He's got a lot, you know? a lot of life experience. Yeah, so I thought I would, I because I feel like I could imagine what it was like for Julius Caesar or, you know, like Roman times, but that far back, close to primitive times, I would just be interested to see, to just see what it was like. So that would be the time period when I would, probably Methuselah would be the guy I'd want to meal with. I like that answer. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I feel like that fits with you know. I thought at, with the historical question, Danny, the historian's going to have some kind of interesting historical analysis or something. So you can up. tell I've already thought through this yeah. before. So this wasn't. I didn't come up with this today. So, so for you, Lawrence, again, the question is: any any one historical figure that you share a meal with? So I'm I'm kind of expecting you to especially pick on the the meal part. So. So here's the deal. Uh, when I first hear this question, I think of history. I'm not thinking, am I thinking biblical history? Or am I thinking of history? So somebody from the Bible, I'm going with David. David's going to be a good time. He's going to dance. Maybe do some poetry. Maybe, you know, talk about some war stories. Talk about some love. I'm just, I mean, David's got it all. Full range of emotions. Cool story. Um, expressive guy. I think we'll have a good time drinking, you know, hanging out, having a nice meal together. So some of your David thoughts might end up in a psalm. Yeah. Like, might be. <laughs> your conversation for, for you could. you, though, I, I feel like Solomon might give you the better meal. That's true. Solomon's better. better and plus meal. the wise statements from Solomon. Uh-huh. Early Solomon. Right? Early Solomon. Solomon. Yeah, yeah, early Solomon. Early Late Solomon. Solomon, you want to... I mean, still wise in the world, maybe? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's good. I, I was actually thinking, um, 
going outside of biblical times, but maybe maybe still, or at least like what, what you know what's covered in the biblical account, but maybe uh, Athanasius is still seen in church history. Oh, Athanasius, nice. yeah. like yeah. you know, just asking, picking his brain about you know some of the things that were contended at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're putting together this mm-hmm. this list of of what we now call the New Testament. So you know, what was that like? You know, d- dealing with different. Uh, heresies? How, how did were you guys winsome, or did you, how did you guys deal with? Uh, you know, did, did it get a little dicey? You know, how how did you handle those things? So Do you know they're going to name a creed after you one day? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we we are in this twelve week sermon series. We're we're coming up. We got a few weeks left in it, but just again, it's it's really quick, really quick to go through Samuel and Kings in, in twelve weeks. So just assuming, let's just assume that maybe maybe for people in our congregation, maybe they missed a couple of sermons here and there, uh, and and so it can maybe it feels a little disjointed at times. But anyway, could, could you guys summarize two things for us? First, what's the overall message of these books? And then second, what are, what are some of the main events that are kind of carrying this this message or main idea forward? So I think for the main message, it's like God's sovereignty despite of human failures, despite of human sin, and His covenant, His commitment to His covenant faithfulness, um, is the main message, and He does that through the offices of prophet, priest, king, but also through humble people. And if you like this, the whole account starts off with Hannah, a humble woman who God exalts, and she. So I think. The humility shows up uh, of the people, the and then, but ultimately, it's it's prophets who, in the end, are the ones that are God's mouthpiece to try to say, like, "Hey, you guys need to turn back to God, but He's going to be faithful to His covenant." So I, I think that's kind of how I see the theme: it's God's sovereignty despite our sin, but Him working through the channels that He had already set up, starting with Abraham through the law of Moses to get to where we are in this historical account. But He is definitely exalting the humble, uh, and He's trying to sh- that that theme. We we shouldn't miss that that mm-hmm. that's there throughout. Yeah, the main message is what Pastor Jetty said. The the avenues that it's kind of portrayed or carried forth this message is through different themes uh, and different um, arcs. Like for example, actually the ark itself mm. is one of the themes of, of God's covenant. The ark of the ark. Yeah, the ark of the ark <laughs> is actually one of the messages here. Is that the ark itself symbolizes God's presence. You know, and it shows the need for the presence of the people and longing of God to be with His people, but also shows the fallenness of his, of the people to fall away from the ark. Mm. Um, even the kings itself, the the very kings that God uh, provides for them, but how they're imperfect and how they fall, and it shows that overall your need is you you long for a human king to be like the rest of the world, but I'm supposed to be your king. I'm your covenant keeper. I'm your suzerain. And I'm so, the one who fight battles for you. Exactly. I'm the I'm one who will, yeah, I'm the one who will do all the things that you want this great king to do. So this overall message is, per, is conveyed and kind of cast along through the ark, through the kings, through the failures of the kings, mm. uh, through the words of the prophets, you know? Mm-hmm. So these are ways that this message is conveyed. Yeah, that's helpful. I mean, so so what I some of what I hear you guys saying is is God God is establishing he, again. He's he's answering this question: How can a holy God be with with His people? Be with sinful people? And and you kind of see this like the people are asking. They ask for a king, and you you see these these different. Uh, I mean, just what we see unfolding. I mean, I think Danny, you uh, you alluded to this in in your sermon last week. Um, 
just about how like some some of the the historical narrative that's happening here is also theological. There's some theological explanation for for what God is doing in their midst. But God God is establishing so like from a historical perspective, you you kind of see this this history of of these kings and and like the establishment of uh, of of the kingdom in Israel and and you see that that they establish the the temple so the ark God's presence is is established they they uh, construct this temple God God's presence is in the center of of or at least is supposed to be in the center of what they're doing um, you see king after king you just king after king after king uh, is good or bad. Division of the kingdom. So you have a United Kingdom division of the kingdom. All, all the all those kinds of things that are that are happening unfolding. Israel is kind of wavering, so to speak. But then, like throughout, God, you see God's faithfulness. God God is with them. He's He's for them. He's uh, and he, he wants them to be committed to to the covenant. This relationship He's established. So that's that's great. So so for you guys, um, you know, maybe even from a personal standpoint, just spending so much time studying these books. What have you learned from your time studying? In, in Samuel and Kings, and anything new? I think the message yeah. that over and over again that is given that I can take home very on, on a very personal level is God's relentless love, his commitment to his name and his promise. And that even though there are times, and even when, you, when I look at my own personal life, I think about oh, I, I don't deserve his love or I've messed up again. You know, it's kind, mm. of, kind of like feeling of guilt that you get every once in a while. And... um it's just affirmation that, you know, God, he chooses to love me and pursue me for his own namesake. You know, for he's not, it's not dependent on my performance of before him. It's just reminded because these kings have failed. These people fail. Israel fails over and over again. And he continues to pour out grace, continues to preserve a remnant, continues to love well. So that's that's kind of just something that for me just to take home. And I know that, but to, to hear it again expressed in this way really affected me. And as we've been studying it for this sermon series, talking about it with you know all of us before we preach and during, we're we're all like talk, we're talking to other staff, talking to people in the congregation, trying to hear, just learn from as people. What are people? What is God speaking to different people? And as I did that, I and from probably also from the Song of Solomon study, like really studying Solomon's life, I begin to think that. Oftentimes, people as Christians say, what if the New Testament was written more clear? Like, what if we just had a list of exact rules that we're supposed to do? And what if, like, all famous people became Christians? Then everybody would want to be a Christian. Like, there's there's a few of these hypotheticals that I've heard my whole life that if, if these things could happen, then everything would be okay. If but, Eminem became a Christian or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. If this famous lot, person yeah. actually... One of the most famous rappers in America became a Christian. You know, yeah, but 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 I'm just well, saying. But if these yeah. things, people always say, if if the New Testament was written this way and we told us exactly what to do, and if these famous people and if all the, then everything would work out. But that's literally what the Old Testament is. First of all, they have this: hey, just follow these laws and you can honor God. Well, first of all, then they start fighting over the spirit of the law, the letter of the law, the actual intent. Just like us as America, we're you know, 200 plus years into this constitution and we fight over what their original intent was or whatever. So it, it gives me comfort to know that God, the New Testament, the Bible that we have as a whole, the whole grand narrative, and then the New Testament we have, the Gospels, 
Acts, which is historical narrative with theology infused in, just like First and Kings and Samuel is, and and then into the New Testament letters is everything we need to be the church. We have everything we need, and there was a time in history when God, when they had a theocracy, and they had they had like an individual kingdom and it failed and the whole point of these failures is to show that the most important part is the prophet who predicts that there will be a, a messiah there will be an anointed one who's better than david who's better than all these people so that's that's kind of where i where i ended up as you know i was thinking of what i learned now like at this reading and i'm so thankful for fresh fresh readings of the scripture and thankful for all of you for helping us process this as we're learning and teaching it back to you guys yeah those are those are great insights uh, really helpful um was was there anything from your time studying the text that you you wish you could have elaborated on more that maybe maybe you just didn't have the time to in, in a sermon context uh one of my times when i was when we talked about solomon one of the things that really jumped out at me that i I'd noticed that i really kind of loved noticing was his connection to egypt you know yeah. i mean it was very intentional the the, the, the Scripture writers were very intentional about he got the gold shipments from Egypt all the time. Ships were sailing in from Egypt. He married Pharaoh's daughter from Egypt. He did slavery again like Egypt. It was really a tie into when you first read Solomon, you can't help but in some ways think this is glory. Mm-hmm. This is good. He's doing big things. He's building temples, building palaces. There's peace in the land. But the subtly, the, the Scripture writers would be like, oh, it looks good, doesn't it? But let me tie him back to Egypt. He became Pharaoh. He became Pharaoh. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think that's just a really cool tidbit to glean from that scripture. Is he became the very thing that God freed them from? That God freed them from. That, yeah. that he was enslaved to the free, the very thing that was considered the, the epitome of enemy of of evil. That he just became in their power. He became, and and I also been like kind of trying to bring that back home to us. Is often we become the thing that we despise. When we've been given power, when we've been given excess, you know, when if you're not yeah. used to it, maybe you've been used to being lowly or low, but then you've been given power, money, or yeah. wealth, or something, then also we see ourselves becoming the very thing that we, we don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, I don't know, that, that was very something for me that I just kind of noticed and really kind of took to heart. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting, just like, I mean, there, there definitely is a sense of like what you, you become like the things that you worship or the mm-hmm. things that you idolize, and, and you kind of see that happening. But it, it, when you fit it in with like at, at the beginning of First Samuel, where it's like the people make that initial ask for the king, and, and Samuel's kind of like, "What are you? What are we doing? Like, right. why are we doing this? This is, and and because and, and even even tells them if you do this, here's all the things that are going to happen to kind of entice them to say like, you you don't want this, yeah. And then you see you see like how it just manifests itself over time that like yeah, this becomes something that they really shouldn't have wanted. They exactly. shouldn't have asked for that. But but the Lord gives them. And I also what? love when you see how the people are just always asking to be like everybody else. They want to fit into the culture, and we said also for us, we have to understand this area was a popular area. The ancient Near East, the mm-hmm. reason that they're in was a, a, a land full of milk and honey. That's why they wanted it. You know, it was a there were warlords and tribing uh, different tribal nation states that were constantly at war because there was a constant shifting of power and uh, superpowers fighting over this little same area. And so what they saw was a lot of different people, and they wanted to be like other people. You know, and I think we also have that same temptation, right? Isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. We want to be like, oh, look how successful so-and-so is. Look at mm-hmm. what they do, and they're successful. Let me be like them. Yeah. I think for me, 
Yeah, I, I allude to it in the Solomon sermon. I wish I could have gone a little deeper and just comforting the women at our church when they read about the wives, that, you know, David. It's one thing to hear about Solomon because you know that these are political alliances. Like, there's no way on earth that Solomon kept in touch with 700 wives. That was just 700 smaller vassal states or tribute wives that were given to him. It is interesting that the narrator doesn't really say like the the wife the daughter of pharaoh is like a tribute wife it seems like solomon sought her out which is interesting like going back to what lawrence said but the tribute wives make sense the concubines don't because that's those are probably within israel that's kind of sad that solomon was seizing women in the you know and they live in a totally different uh, situation than us so it's not a direct parallel and the new testament is very clear that polygamy and the old testament i mean yeah, part of well, this is showing the brokenness of polygamy i would argue one of the key themes of genesis is polygamy is a bad idea mm-hmm. i mean the narrator's clearly trying to yeah. show that from you know chapter four on right that it's a bad idea you know it mentions it early on and then it, it continues to show that it's it's not part of god's intention That's right. so i wish we could have elaborated on that a little more we will talk about that when we talk about human sexuality in the new testament we go to the letters but i just want to comfort the men and women in our church and for those who are struggling with the history of it and that kind of like not being able to put ourselves in their shoes and maybe like like how could God allow this and 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 why does why does God let this happen? And I, I wish I could have gone into more detail, but I, I can on the other side say God is so good and He's so faithful and He loves people and He He ab- abhors the brokenness of 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 polygamy. He abhors it like He does other all all sexual sin. Uh so I I just kinda wanted to I wish I could have gone into more detail, but it's hard to do that in a sermon. And, you know, but I, I just want to comfort all those who struggle with, with some of the, the, just the darkness you see. I, we dealt with it in Judges. We dealt with it in Joshua. Here, it's like God's people. There it was God's people too, but it's like these kings that are supposed to be good representing God, just being just, the kings are worse than the people, you know, and there's, they're the ones who get, literally God gave them the crown and God gave them favor. Another thing I I mean, I hope it'll show up. We still have three more sermons in this series. Uh, it's just kind of the patience of God. He like does. As soon as Solomon fails, he could have just struck Solomon down with with lightning and just destroyed the temple right there and sent the people directly into exile. But there's a continual opportunities for them to repent, mm-hmm. and the prophet, the role of the prophet, really gets, you know. There's very few prophets mentioned in in Joshua and Judges, like we've mentioned before. There's no prophets mentioned in Joshua. Deborah is the first prophet in Judges. Then there's like two other prophets mentioned in in Samuel. Samuel is kind of the introduction to this prophet who's direct confronting the king. And then there's tons of prophets, like tons of prophets, like later on in the kingdom period, because into exile, because they need to hear from God. So I, I think we'll, we'll get into that, but I, I just I just wish we could have got. Sometimes I just wish we could share a little more, so pe- to help people really get into the the narrative, so that some of our modern assumptions I can correct them, so they can see God's faithfulness in all the brokenness. The way that I've been able to see it, just because I've had a, more opportunity to dig really deep into this. That's good. Yeah, I think for me, they're, they're being able to kind of study more of like the the establishing of of David's role, like him being anointed and and 
you know, kind of seeing the, the process, it, it follows a similar pattern to what you see happening with, with Saul, where he gets anointed and then he, he kind of goes through this battle. So with David, he, he fights Goliath. And um, so there, there's these steps that are taken as, as, as becoming God's anointed. Um, but I wish, I wish that, uh, like in that section there, it, talking more about the relationship between David and Jonathan in particular, like, I mean, that, that's like your, your stereotypical, like, friendship and talking about friendship. Uh, and that, that's just been something that's that's been on my mind a lot with just doing men's ministry in particular, of just, like, male friendship and how difficult it is. Uh, and even, even, like, being able to connect it to... Um, just the importance of of the covenant, the importance of like of, of of the anointed one, the importance of the anointed one, and how God is establishing that, and how you see like really with with Saul and 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 the, the possibility of of his legacy, his dynasty would have been carried out with Jonathan, but Jonathan is so excited to to give that over to David, mm-hmm. and and so like to to kind of to kind of follow that and trace that with their their friendship and seeing what God is doing. Through that, like of all of all the different uh, offspring that are mentioned, like these these different uh, families and and like who, you know, like uh, with with Eli and his his offspring, like his sons are, are pretty despicable. Samuel's sons, like the people reject them. They're like you're they they they're not like you. Uh, David's sons, uh, it's pretty a pretty mixed bag. Yeah, they're but then like bad. Saul, his son, like his son is is pretty awesome. And yeah. so it's just like Saul's not that awesome, but but Jonathan is is pretty awesome. And so uh, I wish I could have explored that a little more, um, just because it is so interesting. Yeah. So guys, don't give up, and friendships. Yeah. God. God will even people who are supposed to be enemies. I think that's a cool story, the Jonathan David story, because they should be enemies. Because David's taking the throne that was, according to worldly standards, rightfully his. But because Jonathan's humble and trusts God, he and he he knows that God's in it. Him and David are best friends. It's, it's yeah. just a just an amazing. Uh, yeah, it would have been. Yeah, it's just one of those. Maybe in Chronicles we can. Uh, yeah. We yeah, we do have so. Chronicle series, which we're gonna do for about ten weeks, I think. So we'll have some more time to hit some of these. Yeah. So so speaking of uh, so uh, again going back to kind of more of the beginning of of the series, looking more in in. First uh, Samuel, you kind of have this setup of God is is choosing kings, or well, God doesn't choose. Well, the people are asking for a king, so the people ask for a king, uh, and Samuel kind of rejects that, doesn't like the idea, pushes back against it. The God says, give give the people what they want, give give them this king, uh, and so Saul is. It's almost like Saul is pitched as. The people's choice, like he's the people's king, people's champion, uh, and and you kind of see you, you see his rise and fall, and and it doesn't really go well, and so then then you have this choosing of David, and David is it, it for maybe for the average Bible reader, David looks like like he's this he's God's choice, he's God's choice for a king. This this is a this is a man after God's own heart. This is this is the one who uh, is is going to be the one that they 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 needed. Um, but then it, it seems like you, you follow the story, you follow the story arc of David, and David seems to have a, a really similar storyline arc as, as Saul. And so, so what is it? What, what is it about David that's so great? And and why does God choose to establish the Davidic dynasty? Why, why does He do that? Well, <clears throat> the question often is, what does it mean, man after God's own heart? You know, that's the question. Like, why has David received that title? What is it about David? And one could argue because he's a mighty warrior, 
One could argue because he's emotionally in touch. <laughs> one could mm-hmm. argue numerous things. And one could argue because he's righteous. But you can look and look at his life and see. There's other people who are mighty warriors. You know, the mighty man of David. You could other people. There are other people who wrote Psalms. You know, then you also looked at was he righteous, and he was none of the, he wasn't righteous either. So then, what was it uniquely about David? And I think what was we see over and over again in his story, even when he falls, and even when he does good, there seems to be this incredible dependence on God. As a matter of fact, when he talked about his his you know his ability to go fight Goliath, he said, "Well, I fought against wolves." Kind of protected my sheep, and God was always with me. Then it's yeah, the same thing. Against the lion and the bear. And yeah. The, yeah, and so his mind it, it had this utter depend. His heart, his spirit had an utter dependence and need for God. So I think that's kind of more along the lines of what it means by man after God's own heart. Now, I also want us to know that it is ultimately God is Himself, His choice and His choosing of David. You know, like God could choose whoever He wanted, but His choosing mm-hmm. of David that He wanted to accomplish His. Uh, Davidic kingdom, if you will, this monarchy through David because he wanted to choose his, this mm-hmm. servant. That's ultimately God's choice. And he also wanted to use somebody who had this attribute of dependence on God. Yeah, and and I think where I see it as God chose Saul and Saul rejects God and God chooses David and God chooses Solomon and God, cho- God chooses Jeroboam as we looked at last week and gave Jeroboam a similar type charge Jeroboam's not even you know is from a different line he's not one of David's sons and he gave but the difference between the other guys and David is some what Lawrence said but I'm going to build on it David listened to the prophet when he gets David turns back to God David repents and turns back to God he knows like Lawrence said he's he knows his dependence on God and that's the difference and in the first sermon we gave in the series was God gives the covenant to David when David says, you know, like, I want to build a house for you. Before, when when God sees David's turning back to him and his his faithfulness toward him and saying, like, so the, it's something about the posture of David that's different than the other guys, mm. even with, and then, and David listened to Nathan. Solomon does not listen. So the prophet in the, what we, the passage we read last Sunday, uh, when it did a job, what's his name? Uh I can't remember the the prophet confronts like Abijah or something yeah yeah the prophet confronts uh, Solomon and, and tells Jeroboam that you're going to be king. It said all it says the narrator is playing a little joke. Solomon tried to kill him. He had to flee. Where does he have to flee? To Egypt, uh-huh. and he has to go hide in Egypt. You see yeah. the narrative uh, where and I think so. Solomon could have listened to the prophet and just like why did Solomon's dad get the kingdom? Because Saul messed up. Why is God now giving part of the kingdom to Jeroboam? Because Solomon became like Saul. Mm. So if if Solomon would have listened to to the prophet and said, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to trust God," but all of them except for David, and then later Josiah and Hezekiah, a few other kings, all of them, in a moment of mistake, they make the decision to take matters into their own hands and like, try to kill the prophet. David and then the the good kings after him are the ones who make a mistake and then turn back to God. The narrator doesn't think David's perfect, but the narrator continually shows us that that David is David turns back to God. I think it's very similar to Peter and Judas. Yeah. If you compare Peter to Judas, they're both kind of deny Jesus in mm-hmm. the end, but one of them turns back in repentance. One of them doesn't. And what a message for us, those who are listening. What a message it is that. 
it's not about you being righteous and you doing always making the right decision. It's about are you hearing the spirit convict your heart over the sin that you're committing? Are you turning to God? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not about always making the right choices, always being right, always being, you know, always doing everything perfectly. Is that are you willing to depend and turn back to God? Yeah, and as as, as we hear these stories, I mean, it, it's. It's uncanny to kind of to kind of see this unfold in, in Kings and, and look back. You know, we earlier this year we were doing Joshua and Judges, and you kind of see this this like cyclical pattern with with Judges of, of like just there's there's rescue, and then there's there's the the this spiraling out of control, and and there's the turning away from God, and then there's a crying for help when things get bad. And, and it, I mean, may, maybe with Kings it's been a little more, uh, maybe it's fluctuated a little more, but you still you still see these things unraveling you see things unfolding where like ultimately this is leading toward exile right mm-hmm. like the, it's leading toward i mean even you know in, in your sermon danny talking about like god was going to take part of the kingdom away from solomon and that's that's what he that's what he does and um because he's he's not yielding to god he's not listening so i i appreciate that perspective of, of just you know and, and even for us like what what does it look like for us to uh, cultivate that posture of of just returning back to the Lord, mm-hmm. returning back to Him again and again and again, to to be able to receive the, His Word, to be able to receive the things that He has for us, and and to to actually listen to Him, like you're saying, Lawrence. I think, man, that's it, it's easy to to joke and, and make fun of these guys and and these people and and say like, how stupid, how silly are they? But it's it's really more complicated than that. I think we, I think we know that. Um, but I think to actually like walk in that is just, yeah, there's something, there's something about just human nature in, in, in there of just that, that ongoing struggle. And one more thing I want to add is even in the list in Hebrews 11 of the characters of faith, it's not saying that their life is something to be replicated. He's saying at the moments when they could have chosen to not trust God, they had faith. And the author of Hebrews is trying to pre- present us saying that that's, a model for us as New Testament, as New Covenant people, people who turn back to God, who have faith, know that overall, yeah, we're going to fail, we're going to fall short. And it's interesting that the list ends with a, a list of judges, and then he says about David and Samuel and the prophets. Hmm. And then he talks about the people who were not worthy, who were sawed in half, which is mostly people who bad kings killed, like Israelites, right. and, and then into the intertestament period where the foreign invading armies killed them but it's interesting that the list ends with david and samuel now obviously it's not a comprehensive list because we know that that daniel had faith but well daniel's one of the prophets but it it kind of is a a progression of you know the this is what it means to have faith like it, it means to just continually rely on god and turn back to god even in our brokenness even as we make mistakes and i think david and samuel are the example of that so as we come out of kings i mean particularly samuel and the in first kings that's that's the thing we see and the author of hebrews is clear to show that solomon's name's not on that list Mm -hmm. saul's name's not on that list you know Mm -hmm. yeah that's good that's interesting well danny you've been alluding to this uh, multiple times and so i figured we could we could go there um, Lawrence, I don't know if you're gonna if you're gonna get into this a little bit in your sermon of just talking about Elijah and Elisha, um, but we've been talking about kings. We've been talking about the role of kings, the place of kings in, in Israel's history. We, Danny, you mentioned earlier in in this podcast episode just about the the the, the anointed role. So you have prophet, priest, king. 
um, in this case, profit that the profits, maybe the profits are actually the heroes of the story. Maybe they're the ones who are actually, they, they make it, I mean, mm-hmm. at least, uh, com- in comparison to the Kings that they, they, they have, I mean, just a huge role. And so well, in the book of Kings in particular, they are yeah, the heroes. They are. Yeah. yeah. So, actually, actually the book of Samuel too. Yeah. So Samuel, Samuel yeah. And, so, and so, Hannah, okay. the, so, the so, lowly woman who prays yeah. for the prophet. Yeah. So who, who are the prophets and, and what, what, why were they needed? Why, why were they so vital? What was their role? So, in in kind of Christian teaching, doctrinally speaking, there is this idea of Jesus fulfilling the threefold office of earthly ministry. Mm-hmm. The threefold office being prophet, priest, and king. And so, if you look at the Israelite as a nation, for it to function as a nation, it it had a nation that's uh, connected to God, following well after God. You, you saw these uh, effects of this kind of threefold offices mm. of prophet, priest, and king. And they worked in harmony. The kind of one way that I liken it to is that I kind of liken it to our system of government now. You know, we have a threefold. What, what, what's it called? I don't even. It's been so long since I've done politics. What's it, what, <laughs> what's our system called? We have three. We have the checks and balances they provide. What's it called? Is there a term You're for it? You're talking about just the balance of power. Yeah, it, but it's, it's like the, the three. The executive there, branch, yeah, there's executive, the branches. The executive, yeah, exactly. And the, and the, but is there uh, a term for that? I don't know. Executive, whatever. judicial, and legislative. Legislative. Yeah. yeah. But you have these kind of working in harmony to kind of lead the nation, right? Mm-hmm. And kind of like the the. Um, the Supreme Court is kind of like the the prophets. You kind of calling out, holding accountable. You know, the president kind of like the king, the legislators like the priests. Kind of, it's a kind of this mentality. That, but, but, by the way, people listening, that's not a perfect analogy. Uh-huh. Please <laughs> don't take it too far. I'm just trying to use it as an example here. But we have this system of of kind of the the structure of leadership and the structure of getting understanding, having intimacy with God, and being a people of God. And so we have these three three roles, and they, they ideally when they come together perfectly, it shows that they all fall together perfectly into Jesus. They're supposed to represent Jesus ultimately, because mm-hmm. he is the perfect representation of all three roles, all three offices he fulfills. Um, and so prophets come along to kind of be the ones who hold the priests and the and the kings accountable. They're the mouthpieces of God. They're the ones who speak. You're going against the word of God. You're going against the covenant. You're, they speak words of warning and judgment and accountability. So they're the mouthpieces to speak out against God based on the word of God. Hmm. Yeah, and I don't, you can't spoil a sermon on prophets because you can just go back and read the Bible. But Lawrence is going to really, this will start our Advent series. So it's really cool. Advent is about the coming of preparing for the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one. And how do we know about the coming of the anointed one? The prophets. God used prophets uh, throughout the Old Testament. And like I said, the ministry of prophets goes from Deborah early on in Judges being, you know, the first prophet mentioned after, after the Pentateuch to now there's prophets everywhere. And in Kings and you know, we, we learn about Elijah and Elisha, the two most famous prophets. And then I think Hulda, the female, the prophet is the last one or one of the last ones to kind of really warn these bad kings. But, and then we have prophets. We have Amos and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. All these people are written, all these prophets God brings up during the king period into the exile period to to, sh- to point people back to God. And, and I think the role of the prophet is extremely important and the Old Testament role of prophet, we're going to keep studying at Waypoint, so I'm not going to say too much here, but just, just I, I want people to recognize that the New Testament does not exalt the kings. Hmm. The New Testament points us back to the promises that God makes through his covenant law and then 
through the faithfulness of people in right actions, like David when he did right and, and others, and then the words of the prophet, the words of God that rebuked, that showed, brought, demanded God's justice, demanded God's righteousness, demanded God's mercy. So Lawrence will share more about this. So be, be excited about this sermon, our first Advent sermon about, about the prophets. Okay, so that's that's great. That's good. Um, so as as a church, guys, as as we're kind of as we're coming to a close in in, in this series, what are some things you hope we take away with us as, as we conclude our time in Samuel and Kings? I think the obviously the big message of a, of a God who's faithful to His covenant promises, who's ultimately fulfilling all His work through Jesus Christ. But very practically, I also want to take home some very practical lessons of what led to the downfall of Saul and David and Solomon. You know, the worshiping the culture around them, wanting to be like everybody else, or insecurity and fear. Ultimately, was what led to Saul and Solomon's, and Solomon's downfall. And what led to David's redemption is in the midst of succumbing to these things like fear and selfishness and greed and um, wanting to be like everybody else is David's redemptive story is that he listened to the prophets and he turned back to God. Practically, my people, I would love for you to hear this and be like, "We're not. God loves us. He pursues us. He's done all that's necessary for us to know Him. So when we sin and when we mess up or when we hear words of accountability and rebuke, may we turn it back to Him. May mm-hmm. we repent. May we depend on Him. You know, very practically speaking, I just would love for that to be our posture. We want to know that we mess up. We all mess up. And we need grace and forgiveness and repentance. Yeah, I think for me, just, yeah, I've loved this series. Oh, I want to go back and say Ahijah's the prophet. It sounds like Elijah, but Ahijah's the last, the prophet who says Jeroboam can be king over 10 of the tribes. But I, I like to, when I study something, a section of scripture, I like to see, like, where did God end it and where did God begin and the end of Kings, of Second Kings, the scroll, is basically the final king of Judah goes into exile, and their king of Babylon, uh, a king who worships Marduk, his name is Awel Marduk, uh, he becomes king, and he hears that the last king of Judah, uh, Jehoiakim, uh, Jehoiachin, sorry, Jehoiachin, the last king of Judah is in prison. And they, the, the Babylonian king pulls him out of prison and gives him a seat at the table, and he doesn't have to wear his prison clothes anymore. And that's how the scroll of kings ends. So God is like, hey, even in prison, and it says he got favor over all the other arrested, all the other kings that they threw in prison. So instead of being executed, he gets put in prison, and then he even gets favor. So God is even doing something there. And it's preparing people to say that God's going to pull them out of exile but then I like to go back to the beginning of of Samuel, of you know the first part of the first scroll, and look at at Hannah's song, and she says, "My heart rejoices in the Lord." She says, "There is no no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside there is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God." And she just gives praise to God. The foundation of the earth are of the Lord. He has set them on the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. So the beginning of Samuel is this poem that Hannah gives, uh, praising God that he's going to give her a son. 
and the son will start this full fully fledged ministry of prophets that's promised in Deuteronomy that barely exists in Joshua I mean doesn't exist in Joshua and barely exists during the time of the judges and that through this that that God's promises will be fulfilled and he will exalt the humble and and you know raise up the humble and and bring down the ones who don't trust him and i think like that's where god starts that's where god ends samuel that's where he starts samuel and that's where he ends kings and that's where i like to go god what are you doing and how can i trust you in it yeah i think i think that's good i think those those are all powerful um and just reminding us again to to that I don't know. Like the, you talk about the the ending of Kings, and and in some ways, it's like wow. Like God has God has really brought the people through so many things. He's he's worked through. He he works with what he's got. He works with what what's at his his uh, disposal, and and it's not always pretty. But yet God is, and and even you you hear that that ending place in Kings, and you're like wow. Like that's it's humbling. Like God, God exalts people, and you you see, you see people rise, and you see people fall. You see, but but ultimately, it's it's the it's the humble. It's not the proud who who rise up, and um, and so I think again, just what, what does it look like for us to be humble people, humble before our God and our King, uh, as as we're as we're seeking to like He He's the exalted one. Jesus is is the exalted one. He's the one who's ultimately. Uh, lifted up, and we're we're lifted up with him through, through his his exaltation, through through his life and ministry, and um, knowing that as you you guys talked about prophet, priest, king, like Jesus is that, like he's the one who who satisfies satisfies those messianic roles perfectly. He's he's the the true anointed one that we've been awaiting, that's been promised since Abraham, that's that's being worked out uh, th- through all this this time, and so um, yeah, just what a, what a powerful testament of what who God is, what he's doing, and that we're, we're, to, we're to come back to him again and again to, to trust him, even, even when we waver, even when we go off, off the rails. Like God, God has a way of bringing us back to himself if, if we'll but, but listen, if we'll but humble ourselves. And um, so, I, I, guys, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the work that you've been doing and uh, in, in preaching and in, uh, teaching and, and working through this series. Thank you to, uh, to, to the staff and to other other. Uh, to the congregation for for just for us walking together through this and learning and, and wrestling with the text together, uh, as as we're just seeking to grow and and learn who who our God is, who who we are in light of who He is and, and what He's doing, what He has done, and what He will continue to do, and what how how even today we get to be a part of that. Where God is still, you know, it, we can get so uh, so focused on on this current moment in history, but God God is bringing things to completion. He's still He's working. He's getting us somewhere he's bringing us somewhere um and he's trustworthy and so let's let's continue to trust him together uh waypoint thank you so much we love you so much yeah thank you eric for uh, leading yeah, thanks, this eric. and for your contribution to this, the sermons as well and thank you people for listening we love you guys yeah have a great week